his house welcome to my good buddy Randy Ho. Come on, Randy. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor. God bless you. If you're glad you're saved, say amen. Well, you bunch of deadheads. I said, if you're glad you're saved, say amen. amen. Glory to God. You can be seated. Thank God for his house. I love the name of this church. Of course, I love your pastor. I love your music. And everybody I've met today, I love them. If you're somebody you don't think I'd like, just don't meet me. I love everything and everybody. I'm going to move my letter. I'm going to join his house. Amen? Amen. I had to find a real estate agent to get a little house for me and my family. And, well, I'd have to get a house for my mother-in-law. Well, I'll pray about it. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank God for his spirit in this place. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. As you're turning there to my life verse, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, explains what happened to me better than any sentence I've ever read anywhere. But in 1977, 40 years ago, at Mayfield High School Gym, with the participation of 45 churches all over this county, Amen. we saw God shake this place. Amen? Amen. Mommy and daddies were saved. Boys and girls and teenagers were saved. Church members were saved. Drug addicts were saved. And on the last night, one of the pastors came up and gave me a big old hug and just weeping and just, he was just touched by God and God had changed his life. He said, Brother Randy, thank you for this week, last night. He's a pastor of a local church here. He said, last night I got saved. I said, you got what? He said, saved. I've been a pastor for 18 years. But last night I got saved. I said, well, you'll be a better pastor. <laughs> he said, well, there's seven other here that I know of. Eight pastors that got saved that week in Graves County. You know what that's called? That's called the result of revival. Revival is not for lost people to get saved. Re revival is for God's people to get fired up, to get right with God. But as a result of that, the lost will get saved. That's what God can do. Anybody getting thirsty? Anybody getting hungry? I think it's time for the real thing, don't you? Folks, whatever you're planning, whatever you're thinking about doing tonight, come to church, and then if it's righteous, go do it. But don't miss church. What time we start tonight? I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't hear. What time? 6 p.m. Central Daylight Savings Time. One guy showed up an hour early, one hour late. I said, what's wrong? He said, I thought you said mountain time. Everybody, what time we start tonight? How many of you would love to be here, but you have to work? Raise your hand. All right, two people in the whole church work. Okay. <laughs> How many would love to be here, but you're pregnant and you will be in labor tonight? All right, then, no other excuses. And those of you, you two people that work, 
make sure you tithe because you're the only ones that can give. <laughs> you got to support this place. <laughs> you too who work. I, I, I don't like hype and false promises. Tired of that. But I will say this about tonight. If you don't come, I promise you, you will hear about it. And then you're going to go, wish I'd been there. But when you go, it won't sound like that because you're not bald. Well, most of you aren't. Was anybody at that meeting at Mayfield High School in 1977? Raise your hands. Anybody still living? <laughs> Amen. You know what I'm talking about. God shook us. I'd like to see it happen again. The number 40 keeps coming around. Interesting. I love your pastor, but I don't like him. He's young. He's smart, good looking, he's in shape, got hair. Really, I despise everything about him. But I love him in the Lord, amen. He was born in 1977. Where's my bodyguard? Would you just beat him up after service? Just, he shouldn't be allowed to live. Folks, I'm serious. Pray for tonight. Amen. Here's what I wish we could do. In the perfect world, I'd preach today. People get saved. People get right with God. Somebody take me out for a glass of water since you're all fasting. <laughs> and then we come back in here and I preach again on what I want to preach tonight because I don't even want to wait for tonight. What time we start tonight? Six. Don't miss tonight. Young people, are there any young people in here? Amen. Don't miss tonight. Bring a friend if you have any. Go make a friend if you don't have any and bring them. <laughs> I'm wasting time, but I don't want to. Sincerely, I don't want any of you to miss tonight. Because by God's grace, something's going to happen that will last Till Jesus comes. God doesn't often, well, rarely does God ask me to do what he's asked me to do tonight. I'll just leave it at that. But you don't want to miss it. I don't know what kind of ball game or TV show's on, but record it, whatever you want to do, but be here tonight at six. If you've got a family member or a friend or a loved one, you've been praying and praying and praying, tonight's your night to get them here. Six o'clock, don't miss it. We'll have a fully staffed nursery, correct? Yeah. Everything. Yeah. You may even get a bodyguard. I got a bodyguard. <laughs> Daniel's my bodyguard. Please don't miss tonight. Six o'clock. How many going to pray for tonight? Raise your hand. Pray, pray, pray. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. 
Behold, all things are become new. Isn't that beautiful? Anybody ever messed up in your life? Then you really love this verse. Because all those old things are passed away. They're gone. If you're saved, God has not only forgiven you, but he's forgot all about it. He's done something that no human can do. You forgot about it. It's gone. Hallelujah. How many believe 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is true? Say amen. amen. There was a time in my life when I didn't believe that. There was a time in my life when I didn't believe anything in this Bible was true. If you'd have told me there's a loving God who loved me, I would laugh at you or cuss you out. I was born in Indianapolis, Indiana. I was born into a home that from all outward appearances had everything. My dad was a wealthy home builder. He built the most beautiful luxury homes in all of central Indiana. When I was eight years old, he merged with Edward J. DeBartlow out of Cleveland, Ohio. He was in the commercial construction business. And together they built the first indoor mall in the state of Indiana, Lafayette Square West, and went on to build many across the country. Edward J. DeBartlow had a son my age. And we would fly over from Cleveland, have business with my dad. He'd bring his son Eddie sometime. Eddie was my buddy. I loved it when Eddie came over. We'd go outside and play tennis or go swimming and hang out, and we were buddies. A few years ago, Edward J. bought his son Eddie a birthday present, the San Francisco 49ers. Still owns them, owns them today. You see, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not talking about somebody that can, you know, go out to eat once in a while. I'm talking about somebody in my dad that had it all. When I was eight years old, he was ranked the 11th wealthiest man in the state of Indiana. We had a lot of stuff. We had beautiful cars in the garage and a maid to prepare our breakfast and a silly-looking man with a crazy-looking hat taking me to school every day. We had stuff. We had money. Some thought we had it all. But little did they know that behind closed doors, my dad had developed a severe drinking problem. He was an alcoholic. He'd come home late, two, three in the morning sometimes. I'd be upstairs in my bedroom and I'd start hearing him fight. Mom and dad yelling and screaming. Then I'd hear the thump. My mom would fall on the floor up against the wall. Then I would hear the glasses in the kitchen crash onto the hard tile floor. Night after night after night. Some of you know about the sound of those glasses crashing. Some of you know about your mom crying, stop it, stop it. Some of you know, as a kid, how it feels to cry yourself to sleep, not knowing God. We didn't go to church. We didn't know anything about this. Psychiatrists tell me my memory has been very kind to me. One psychiatrist told me that if I could remember my entire childhood I couldn't live with myself. It'd be too horrific. But I still have nightmares. And my wife would tell you, I still wake up in the middle of the night crying. You're not supposed to be hit by your dad. Not in anger. Not at the wrong end of a fist. Because when he got tired of hitting mom, he started in on us boys. I had a big brother, a little brother, and 
I was the middle child of three boys. Ricky, Randy, Andy, and we had a dog named Mandy. <laughs> kind of cute. First started on my big brother Rick. He moved to me, then he moved to my little brother Andy. We ended up hiding under the bed at night, hoping Dad wouldn't come upstairs. I'm not going to waste your time with all the details, just enough to say by the time I was 13, after one particularly horrific Saturday night, my mom told us boys to get dressed, grab a couple things, get in the car. Don't bother to pack any toys or all your clothes, just a couple things. She said, we're leaving. And I thought, maybe we're doing it. Because for years, I'd go across the hallway to my big brother's bedroom, and I'd say, Rick, why didn't Mom just leave him? Well, he's down there beating her. Rick, why didn't Mom just leave him? And he'd say, Randy, I don't know why she doesn't leave him, but I wish she would. Be careful what you ask for, folks. We left. We drove to the airport, said goodbye to my big brother Rick who flew to California to live with my great uncle and go to prep school. My mom didn't want him to stay in Indianapolis during the divorce, which was sure to get ugly and very, very public, and it got very ugly and very public. When money's involved, people get ugly. My little brother and I, Andy, stayed in the car and she drove us to a new house. She had it all arranged, a brand new home my dad's company had just built. And we walked into that new house, no furniture, no nothing. But for the next hours, days, and even a couple weeks, truck after truck, with brand new furniture, brand new toys, brand new bicycles, brand new everything. For years, I'd wanted my mom to leave my dad. But that first night away from dad, you know what I did? When I laid down in that brand new bed, I cried myself to sleep. Now, if you can explain that one, kids, you're better than any psychiatrist I've talked to, and I've talked to a ton of them. I finally got what I wanted, and I cried myself to sleep. I've been trying to figure out that one ever since I was 13. But now that I'm saved, and now that I'm married, and now that I have two children of my own, God is starting to show me a little bit about what that means and why I cried myself to sleep. I really believe that there's something in the heart of every little boy and girl, little kid. There's something that God gives them in their heart. When they're born, I believe, they want their mommy and daddy to love each other. They really do. They want mommy and daddy to get along, to hug each other, to love each other, to be nice to one another. And when they're not nice to one another, when they argue at the kitchen table, when they scream before they go to bed, when mommy and daddy are ugly at each other, that little something that's in that little kid that wants their mommy and daddy to love each other, that goes wrong. It, it goes haywire. It tells that kid, this is not right. This isn't the way it should be. And the kid gets uncomfortable. Mommy and daddy are fighting. This isn't the way it should be. Nobody taught him that. God gave him that. And the kid starts to blame himself. 
It's my fault. I did something wrong. What did I do? If I hadn't been born, maybe they would love each other. And I cried myself to sleep. Folks, I got married late in life. I was 40. My, my wife was 32. Neither one of us ever been married. And, and I still feel like a novice. I feel like I'm in marriage kindergarten. I'm still learning. I'm no pro. I, I, I just, I mess up all the time. I've had to say I'm sorry more often to my wife than I've said to anybody. Sometimes multiple times a day. Sometimes my wife would just say, Randy, just shut up and empty the dishwasher. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just do it. <laughs> True story. <sighs> Let me just say this. Mom, Dad, you all that are married, love one another. Please, love one another. But he, but she, okay, all right, but love one another. But okay, love one another. Can you move out of your selfishness long enough to let your kid grow up in a decent home? Please, stop sleeping around. Stop running the computer, young man, sir, husband, to that website. Stop it. Clean up your act. cried myself to sleep more than just one night. Make a long and very ugly story short. After the divorce, my dad lost. I'd never been able to say that about my dad. My dad didn't lose at anything. He beat everybody. People feared him. His attorneys, his lawyers, they were too powerful. They were too good, but he lost. The judge awarded all three of us boys to my mom. Gave her a couple big, beautiful new homes, cars, and money. And my dad got so mad because he just wasn't used to losing. He went out and got so drunk. He came over to our house late one night. We were all asleep, but I was awakened by the banging and the screaming. I woke up and I thought, oh, no, not again. I thought it was over. But this time was different. I ran across the hallway to my little brother Andy's bedroom. I said, Andy, no matter what happens tonight, don't go downstairs. I don't want you getting hurt. I said, you look at me, Andy, you're six years old. Do not go downstairs. I said, you stay here, and I promise you, Dad will not come upstairs tonight. He will not hurt you tonight. He will never hurt you again. I'm going to go downstairs. I'm going to take care of it, okay? I was 13. He said, what are you going to do? I said, Andy, stay here. As I left, walked to the door, I said, Andy, I'll always protect you. I have a lot of regrets in my life. But more than anything in my life, I regret 
I couldn't keep that promise to my little brother. This picture. That's, that's Andy. I walked down the steps. I got to the foot of the steps and my dad was beating mom mercilessly. But this was different. I'd seen and heard it many nights before, but I could tell it in his eyes. I could tell the way he was hitting him, hitting her. I could tell the way he was cursing the most vulgar, awful names of my mother. And I yelled and screamed from the bottom of the steps. I said, Dad, stop it. Stop it. You're hurting Mom. You're hurting Mom. He said, shut up. I didn't know what else to do, but I knew I had to do something. I ran over to my dad, and I jumped on his back, and I tried to hit him and pull him away from Mom. He took his form like this. He was a very strong man. I was a 13-year-old kid. He took his form like this, hit me against my chest, knocked me down in the corner on the floor, and there I sat in the corner, hopelessly lost, hurting, lonely, been a little boy that didn't like his life. As a matter of fact, I hated my life. I hated everything about my life. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be in that family. They told me later that all the kids in my school were jealous of me because of where I lived, what kind of car we drove, what kind of clothes I wore, what kind of money we had. But what they didn't know was I was jealous of those kids and I didn't care if we lived in a one-room shack. I was tired of the screaming, the fighting, the cussing, the yelling, the hate. I didn't want to be there. I hated my life. But Dad didn't stop. He kept hitting her and hitting her. It got worse and worse. She started to openly bleed. Her knees buckled. She would fall soon. Dad could finish her off. One last desperate attempt to live just to survive. She yelled at me in the corner. She said, Randy, get the vase in the corner. Hit your dad over the head. He's going to kill me. Right next to me was a four-foot-tall, thick, purple-glass face. I knew I would pick that heavy thing up and hit my dad over the head. It would kill him. I don't want to kill my dad, but I certainly didn't want my dad to kill my mom. As a 13-year-old kid, I didn't want to have to make that kind of decision. And thank God, I didn't have to make it because my dad heard my mom say that. He just threw her down in the puddle of her own blood, and he ran out. I called the ambulance. By this time, my mom was unconscious. The ambulance came. My little brother ran downstairs and grabbed my pant leg and said, Randy, is mommy dead because she was unconscious? I said, I don't know, Andy. They're going to help her. They're going to help her. And they took her to the hospital, and thank God they revived her. Thank God for the dedicated doctors and nurses in that emergency room. They saved her life. But she didn't just live. She didn't just survive. She thrived. Six weeks after I got saved, she got saved. She became a radical for Christ. She started reading the Bible, getting women's prayer groups, amen, living for Jesus. Listen to this. His house, I told her about his house. She's 86 years old now. She's got a women's prayer group in South Florida where she's retired there where it never snows. And she told those 40 octogenarians that know how to get a hold of God, that I'm going to be at his house this Sunday, and they pray for me everywhere I go, everywhere I preach, and right now they're praying for heaven to fall today. Amen? Amen. Thank God for that. Thank God for my mom. 
give a hand clap to my mom. Amen. But you know what I did after that night? I did what everybody in this room has done one way or the other. From the front row to the back. And every section. Everyone in this room have done this. You know why I know you've all done it? Because there's something to bring us together. You may root for the Blue Nation. I root for the Hoosiers. I know you don't care. You used to care. We've become totally irrelevant ever since he left. You know who I'm talking about. The General, Robert Montgomery Knight. Never knew a man in my life that needed Jesus more than him. Amen. <laughs> but he's your good coach. We have a lot of differences. There's one thing that brings us together. We've all been hurt. Right? One out of every three young ladies before the age of 18 will be physically or sexually molested against their will. One out of every four young men before 18. I was in a high school in Cleveland, Ohio. Great big old football player named Otto, never forget him. Great big lineman came up to me, just gave me a big old bear hug. Great big old guy, just weeping like a baby. I said, what is it all? This is a public school, two or 3,000 kids there that day in a high school assembly. And you know what he said? He said, Randy, you were talking about girls being molested. He said, what if it's your stepdad who molested me? I said, what? And he was just broken. He was right in that public high school gym. I said, what are you talking about, Otto? He said, Randy, I'm very popular at this school. I'm officially an All-American high school football player. I've got scholarships for college. Any girl in the school would go out with me. He said, you know how many dates I've had? I said, how many? He said, none. I said, why not? He said, I don't know if I'm gay or not. I said, what? He said, if my stepdad molested me, does that mean I'm gay? He said, Randy, please help me. I'm so lost. People need our love, not our judgment. People need our acceptance, not our self-righteous attitude. God can change anybody. Thank God he came that night to the rally and he got saved. Now he's happily married with children. Listen very carefully. From that night on, I do what everybody in this room said. You know what I did? I put up a wall. You know why I put up a wall? Because I got hurt. And it hurts to hurt, doesn't it? It hurts to be made fun of and poked at and bullied. It hurts to be cursed and hit. It hurts to be rejected and laughed at behind your back and worse, to your face. It hurts to be disbelieved and rejected. It hurts and it hurts to hurt. So what do you do? We put up a wall. I don't want to be hurt anymore. 
And when I put up the wall, I put it up strong and tough, and I closed it up, and I said, nobody's getting in here because nobody's hurting me again. Nobody's going to push me on the floor and make me watch my dad try to beat my mom to death. I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to feel anymore. Not long after that, just a couple weeks later, I was invited to a party. I was still only 13. Everybody was drinking. And I walked in there as the only one not holding a beer. And everybody was laughing at me because I wasn't drinking. I thought, well, give me a drink. I thought they'll quit laughing at me if I take a drink. And I took a drink and another drink and another drink. I chugged down as much as I could until I went out in the front yard and how many know what I did? I puked my guts out. You ever hurled? You ever tossed your cookies? Huh? I puked out everything I'd eaten since third grade. It was bad. Are you grossed out yet? It's my goal. Gross them out, Randy. I couldn't get a home, a ride home until midnight. A buddy of mine in high school had his car and he drove me home and I said, wait a minute, Brad, don't leave. I might have to spend the night with you. I said, let me check the garage. My mom's car's not there. That means mom's not there. That means she's still out of town. And that means the housekeeper's there spending the night to watch me and my little brother Andy. And I don't want to spend the night with the housekeeper. He said, why? I shouldn't say this, but it's the truth. I said, she's ugly. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. I only say it because it's true. I said, let me check. I looked in the garage. There's my mom's car. I thought, good, mom's home. But then I saw something I hated worse than a housekeeper. I saw Stubby's car. Now, Stubby was a little dude my, my mom had been dating. He was about five foot five and five by five. He was kind of a kind of a mix between Danny DeVito and, you know, that little guy. Mini-me. It was a weird-looking human unit. And I thought, I am not going in that house if he's there. I got back in the car with Brad. I said, I'm going to have to crash over to your crib. I said, my mom's there. There's a tree stump in my house. I went over to Brad's. Just down the road, my dad built their house, and I knew it well, and went in the bedroom and called my mom. I said, hey, mom. She said, where are you? I said, I'm over at Brad's. I'll spend the night, okay? She said, fine. I said, what did Stubby's car do in the garage? She said, Randy, his name is not Stubby. His name is Richard. <laughs> I said, I know, but what's Stubby's car doing in the garage? She said, Randy, we got married this weekend. I said, you married a tree stump? She said, no, I married a fine young man. He was the president of the Indianapolis Water Company. I said, oh, that's how you met him? You know, making the water work for my dad's houses that he built? She said, Randy, he doesn't drink much. He's going to be a good husband and a good father. You come home tomorrow and give him a chance. I said, I'll give him a chance. I'm going to come home tomorrow, get my things, and leave. She said, you're 13. You can't run away from home. I said, watch me. Next day, I... Went home, ran upstairs to my bedroom, packed up a backpack, threw it on my back, got ready to walk down the steps, and right between me 
and the steps. Guess who was standing there? Stubby. I said, Stubbs, you better move, dude, because if you don't move, I'm going to have to push you down these steps. And then you're going to roll like the Pillsbury Doughboy that you are. He said, get back in your room, young man. I said, don't young man me, buffalo breath. He said, you're not going anywhere. I'm your new father. I said, you're not my new father. You're too ugly to be anybody's father. I was a nice guy, wasn't I? He said, you get back in your room now. I said, I'm going to count to three. If you're not gone by the time I count to three, I'm going to push you down these steps and you're going to roll. He said, you'll never do it. I said, watch me. One, two, three. Flop, flop, fizz, fizz. Over leap it was. I rolled the Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> Coolest thing I'd done in my life to that point. But I'm not, I'm not a proud of it now because when I got to the bottom of the steps, my mom was in the living room crying. She said, Randy, what's wrong with you? Why are you doing this? Why are you acting like this? I said, Mom, I don't mean to hurt you, but I can't live here with this man. He's got bad breath, and every time he eats, he makes bad noises. <laughs> Smelly noises. I cussed him out. I said, I'll never be back. He cussed me out. He said, you take one foot out that door, I'll never let you back. I said, deal. I walked out. He kept his word. He never let me back. I went to a friend's house. He had some buddies over. They were smoking dope. I didn't know how to smoke dope. I was 13. They showed me how to smoke dope. A couple hours later, I stoned out of my head. Before I went to bed, they gave me a couple little red pills. I slept like a baby. The next day, I said, I want some more. Three or four times later, they said, we're going to need some money. You know the rest of the story. You've heard it a thousand times. But this was true. I started doing acid. LSD, mescaline, psilocybin. My brain cells were literally burning inside my head. Started doing narcotics. I met Mr. Cocaine. Mr. Cocaine turned around, kicked me in the teeth, and nearly killed me. Started getting arrested for drug possession, shoplifting, stealing, selling drugs. Wasn't long before I stopped doing drugs, the drugs started doing me. In jail, out of jail, in jail, out of jail. Finally, one judge said, this kid, he doesn't need more jail, he needs rehab. They sent me to three of the largest rehabs in this country. But I didn't stay more than two weeks at any of them. The only thing they were telling me was just say no. Just say no, ho. Just say no. You can't. Okay, stop saying that. Because you can't. You can't just say no to something stronger than you without saying yes to someone stronger than that. Somebody said, somebody said, well, I, I was on drugs and I kicked them and I didn't get saved. I'm not a Christian. Okay, you may, you may have kicked drugs, but you replaced it with something else. Addiction can only be broken permanently by the power of God through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And I proved it. 
I tried everything anybody could try back then. On March 25th, one Saturday morning, about noon actually, for the first time in my life, I had the guts to die because I'd run out of the guts to live. I did something very stupid. Janice was already gone. Janice Joplin. Three weeks later, the greatest guitarist that ever lived, Jimi Hendrix, to quote one of his own songs before he died, he said, I'm kissing the sky with Janice, Purple Haze. Six weeks later, vocalist and lead singer of The Doors, Jim Morrison, killed himself in an overdose of drugs all within two months, all at the age of 27. One of my buddies told me later that after I did the overdose, I said, Pearl's gone, Jimmy's gone, Jim's gone, I'm leaving too. No matter what it is, did you hear me? I said, no matter what it is, if you're having suicidal thoughts, thoughts of self-destruction, remember these four words. This gets me through a lot of lonely nights on the road without my family. No matter who's making fun of you, no matter what kind of horrible grade you got in class, no matter what's going on with your marriage, your kids, your parents, remember these four words. This too shall pass. With God's help, you can make it. Young lady, you think it's the end of the world. It's not. It's the devil trying to destroy you. You say, well, I can't go another minute, another day. I can't go. I know you can't. That's why you need Jesus. Not religion, not beautiful singing, not even great preaching. You need Jesus. Come to Jesus and you'll have a power beyond your power, strength beyond your strength. When you're lonely, you have a friend that sticks with you forever. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And when you're weak, he's strong. When you're empty, he'll fill you up. When you're discouraged, he'll lift you up. Please come to Jesus. Get saved. I didn't know that. Nobody told me that. I took an overdose of drugs. The doctor said later should have killed 10 grown men. You say, Randy, then how did you make it? This is all true. It's all written in a best-selling book called Down the One-Way Street. Miraculously, a couple teenage girls that knew me in high school through the grapevine within 30 minutes heard that I OD'd and that I was in the hospital and for 30 hours I was unconscious. The machine was keeping me alive. For 30 hours I was gone. The doctor told my buddy, he probably won't wake up. And it's not going to be long before we'll need his name, his records, his parents, because somebody's got to pay for this. I told my buddy before I blacked out, I said, no matter what happens tonight, you do not tell anybody who I am. He promised me. And he didn't tell him a thing. For 30 solid hours, the doctor said my brain cells were melting in the arteries of my skull. These teenagers that heard about this called an emergency prayer meeting in a church like this, a powerful, growing church, an exciting church. They're winning souls every week. People getting saved every week. People coming to Christ. I mean, God was 
moving that church. Those young people were so fired up, they were telling everybody everywhere about Jesus. That church had over 300 regular young people on Sunday morning through the week. Bible says, I mean, it's going on. I mean, they were winning souls like crazy. Nowadays, the term soul winning is out of style. I don't care what you call it. Just do it. We're not doing it. We're getting members from other churches. Okay, but win people to Christ. These two girls are so fired up for God, they said, we're not going to let Randy Hogue die. They had a network. Each kid would five, call five other kids. Each of those kids would call five. And within a few minutes, they could have every kid in that youth group contacted. Within an hour, every one of them were at the youth chapel. Over 300 kids got to go on their knees before God. And they asked God to save my life, to save my mind, to save my soul. For 30 solid hours, they prayed. They didn't read a Bible verse, pray for the food, eat pizza, and play volleyball. They got on their knees, and they prayed. They didn't eat. They didn't sleep. They prayed. They got a hold of God for 30 solid hours. How many believe God can answer prayer? Say amen. amen. How many of you know somebody that needs to get saved? Say I do. Amen. If you know anybody that needs to get saved, you get them here tonight and keep praying for them and don't give up. Keep loving them. Get them here tonight. Get them here next week. But get them here. Get them to Jesus. Keep praying. God wants to hear and answer your prayer. How many believe that? Say amen. amen. The Bible says in Jeremiah 33, 3, call upon me. I will answer thee, God says, and I'll show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. God could do anything. Don't you limit the Holy One of Israel. Please don't miss tonight. Heaven's going to fall. Amen. You bring somebody with you. If you're at home tonight, I will find out. And I will ask Daniel to come over there and kick your tail. Kick you all the way back here to church where you belong. Amen? Thank you for doing that. I don't have to pay you for all this, do I? Okay. I'm so broke, I can't pay attention. Folks, those young people prayed 30 solid hours. My drug buddy sitting there in the hospital next to my bedside. Doctors say I'm either dead or dying. And 30 hours later, I'm laying there, gone, machine, keeping me breathing. I wake up. Oh, my. I looked over at Mark, my, my buddy. I, I said, Mark, is that you? He said, yeah. What's your name? Where are you from? I told him, he said, dude, you're not only alive, you're in your right mind. You know who you are. You know who I am. I said, what am I doing here? He said, dude, you tried to off yourself. I said, oh, yeah. I wanted to die, Mark. I said, why are you taking me to the hospital and get the acid pumped out of my stomach? I wanted to die. He said, you just chilled, dude, because I took you here because I thought you were going to die. I got scared. And I'm sorry, but I didn't tell him who you are. I said, then how am I alive? I know how many drugs I took. And I shouldn't be alive. He said, I'm scared too, dude. I don't know how you're alive. I said, then how did I make it? He said, I don't know, but I got a message for it. I said, what message? He said, some church on the south side of town. I don't know any church on any side of town. He said, some young people keep calling here hour after hour for the last 30 hours and they wanted me to tell you they're praying for you. I said, what? Amen. Praying for me? Who are they praying to? You got to understand, back then, we had all kind of gods. It was crazy. 
I said, what God are they praying to? He said, I don't know, but they must have the right one. <laughs> he said, they want you to come to their service tonight at 6 o'clock if you're alive. I said, well, I'm alive. What time is it? He said, dude, it's 6 o'clock. I said, what? He said, they, they told me on the phone their, their service starts at 6 p.m. and they want you to come if you're alive. I said, what do you think? He said, I think they got something we both need. Amen. I said, would you take me? He said, no, man, I don't take you to church. I don't go to church. You don't go to church. I don't go to church. We don't go to church. I'm not going to church. Besides that, I don't have a car. I said, dude, how'd you get me here? He said, come on, man, you know. Yeah, I know, I know. I said, I know you don't have a car right now. What do you do for a living, Mark? He said, come on, man, you know what I do for a living. I said, Mark, just say it. None of us have ever heard you say it. Just say it. He said, Randy, you know I steal cars for a living. I said, and you're the best car thief in this city. He said, thanks, man. I said, you're welcome. You got skills, dog. Serious skills, man. You're good. He said, well, thanks. He said, I'm not going to steal a car and take it to church. I said, when's the last time you stole a car? He said, about 30 hours ago. I said, well, you're rusty. You need to practice. Let's go. We didn't check out. I mean, I just got up, threw the wires or whatever was on me, went down three flights of steps. Right in front of that hospital by the curb was a brand new white Buick. Man, when God gives you a car to steal, he gives you a good one. Amen. <laughs> of course, the doors were locked. The windows were up. But my man, he pulled out that little silver metal thing called a Slim Jim, pulled it out of his jeans. He always had jeans so he could hide that thing. Stuck it down the window, unlocked it, got inside, did his magic. A minute and a half, we were gone. We went to church in style. <laughs> and we walked into that lobby. Music had already started. People were standing up singing. Place was packed, 3,000 people. And as I looked in the window of the door that led to the auditorium, where everybody stand up singing, I looked at them all. I looked real hard. I said, dude, I'm sorry, we can't go in. He said, why not? Anybody go to church? I said, not this church. He said, why not? I said, look at them. He said, they're people. I said, they're white people. I said, dude, look at you. You're not white. I don't know if you check, lady, but you're black, bro. He said, so? I said, so? They're all white. There are no brothers in there. I said, this is not a church. He said, yes, it's church. I said, it's a scam, man. They scammed us, man. I'm a paranoid speed freak at this point. I'm so wired up on speed, man. I, 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 so, I was scared of everybody. I'm paranoid. I said, you know what this is? This is a meeting of the KKK. <laughs> and I said, they tricked us over here. And they think I'm an old long-haired hippie. And they think just you're just some car thief black dude, which you are. And I said, they're going to come back here. They're going to cut my hair and then shoot me. And then they're going to hang you, dog. You're a dead man right now. We're both dead. You understand that? They're going to kill us. This is a scam, man. He said, you paranoid speed freak. I said, you pothead car thief. 
You don't know anything. He said, I know anybody can go to church. I said, I don't think it's a church. He said, yeah, it's a church. I said, it's a church. No, it's not a church. About that time, the usher came out, welcomed us, big smile, warm handshake. Said, welcome to our church. He said, I told you it's a church. <laughs> I was still very skeptical. Sat us toward the back, only seats available. Sat me in an aisle seat, smart usher. Everybody was standing and singing. About that time, the evangelist comes up. A guy named Freddie Gage. Son, Rick Gage, an evangelist. Freddie from Houston, Texas. White polyester suit, black dress shirt, bright yellow tie, white patent leather shoes. I looked at that dude and I thought, anybody that's got the guts to wear that in public, I respect. I admire that man. That man has courage. He started talking about getting saved, being born again. I didn't know what he was talking about. Then he said, he used to run drugs on the streets of Houston at the Port of Houston on the Gulf. He was in the gangs running drugs. And I thought, wait a minute, he's done what I'm doing. He's been where I am. He has felt what I'm feeling. And he said, Jesus Christ was my answer and Jesus Christ is your answer. And I thought, wait a minute, if Jesus could help him, maybe, just maybe. He asked everybody to stand. They started singing just like without one plea. People started going down every aisle, scores of them down every aisle because everybody in that church was bringing friends, inviting family, bringing them with them. They'd walk the aisle with their friends. It's incredible what God was doing there. They didn't come to church just to soak it up. They came to church to see people get saved. And you know what? God was moving. But I didn't understand. I'd never been to any kind of church. I went to one church one time in my life. I went to a Catholic church see my Big brother Rick getting married to a Catholic girl. Only church I've been to. I turned to Mark. I said, what's going on? He said, man, I don't know. I don't go to church either. That same usher that welcomed us, that same usher that welcomed us in the church, that same usher that didn't tell me, hey, get your hair cut, then you can come in our church. That same usher didn't say to my buddy, hey, you're the wrong color. No, he said, come on in. Red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. They go, what you look like, where you've been, what you've done, what you hadn't done. Jesus loves you and so do we. That usher came up, put his arm around me. People going forward, they're singing just as I am. He said, Randy. I said, I did not tell you my name. How do you know my name's Randy? He said, there's scores of teenagers on that altar that hadn't slept all night, that ain't for over a day, and they're praying for you right now. That's how I know your name. He said, I'm only going to tell you this. But I also know your name because I know who you are. He said, I'm an insurance, housing insurance. I was partners with your dad in this business. I said, what? He said, Bill. Yeah, Bill. He said, I know him very well. I was there at your house when your mama brought you home from the hospital when you were born. I said, you know me? He said, Randy, I've been following you. I wasn't saved at the time. Me and your dad used to go out drinking, but I didn't know what he was doing at first. Then I found out what he was doing to your mom. I know what he did to you. 
I said, you don't know anything. He looked at me, he said, Randy, you look me in the eyes. I love you. And for the first time in my life, somebody besides my mother told me they loved me and I felt they meant it. Everybody wanted stuff from me. Everybody wanted money from my dad. Wanted me to give him something. One of my drugs. Nobody loved me. He said, I love you. With tears running down his eyes. He said, when I got saved, I started praying for you. He said, I've been praying for you and your brothers every day. He said, now you're finally here. I'm not going to let you go. He said, you come with me, and I can show you how to get saved. Right there at the altar. I said, mister, I'm not going in front of all these people. I can't come in front of all these people. He said, Randy, I'm going to leave you alone. If you've got enough guts left in you as a man, you'll walk down there by yourself. He said, I'll be waiting on you. He took two steps. He turned around, put his arms around me, gave him a big old hug. I resisted at first. Still crying. He said, Randy, and he put his finger right here. My chest. And he went like this so it would hurt. He said, look at me, Randy. You need to know something. He said, you do know, don't you? You are going to go to hell. He said, I love you. And so does God. And he walked away. I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop the tears from God. I don't want Mark to see me crying. And I don't even know why he's crying. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you I knew the Holy Ghost. I didn't know any of that. It was the Holy Spirit. God was convicting me. I didn't know it. Why am I crying here? Kept wiping him. They kept coming. I said, Mark, would you just go with me? I want to go down there. Just go with me. He said, no, dude. You do your thing, I'll do mine. It's cool. I'm not going. I said, fine, I'm going by myself. I like to tell you, I ran down there and jumped in the arms of Jesus. That would sound pretty. Didn't happen. I could hardly move. The pain was so intense because of drugs. I hadn't done any drugs in 30 hours. Any of you know how long that is? If you're an addict, every nerve ending in my body was screaming with pain. The only thing my body wanted was a dime bag of white powder. That's all I wanted. But really, I didn't want relief. For three hours, I wanted release. Are you tired of sin? You may not be a drug addict. For you, it may be porno. For you, it just may be a filthy, lying, profane tongue. For you, it just may be a dirty mind. For you, it just may be a mistress. For you, it just may be pride, self-righteous attitude that you're better than everybody. For you, it may just be judgmental spirit or rebellious attitude toward your parents. Sin is sin, and sin will take you to hell. I didn't run down. I stumbled down. My pastor, if he was here tonight, he would tell you, I was holding my stomach like this. I was bent over like this. I barely got down to the end. And there down front was that usher 
that loved me. And he put his arms around me. He said, I knew you'd come. He said, just kneel right here. This altar, just kneel with me. He said, let me just show you a couple of things here. He showed me Romans chapter 3, verse 10, verse 23. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He showed me 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He showed me Romans 10, verse 9, 10, verse 13. He said, Randy, Jesus died for you. God loves you. You don't have to go to hell. All you have to do is accept him. Admit you're a sinner. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. I said, I don't know exactly what you mean. He said, just bow your head. Close your eyes. Open your heart. Ask God to save you. I bowed my head. I closed my eyes. I opened my heart. I said, God, please, God, please save me. Save me. Please, God, save me. And not five seconds, not 10 minutes, not a year, not 10 years later, that nanosecond. You know what God did? He saved me. He saved me. He raised me. He filled me. He thrilled me. Hallelujah. What a Savior that can take your poor lost sin and throw it away. God, God, God. Hallelujah. My sins are gone. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Everybody shout, glory to God. Glory, thank you, Jesus. That's for you. Praise God. Pray. I got saved. If I died right now, I'd go straight to heaven. I'd be with Jesus. Amen? Don't miss tonight. I'm going to finish tonight, but before I close today, Few weeks later, my mom got saved. For 18 years, I prayed for my dad and my big brother Rick. They wouldn't even come hear me preach. He cussed me out. My dad's drinking got worse. Destroyed two more marriages. Destroyed his business. He used to fly to either Las Vegas or Atlantic City every weekend. They shut him out of there. He lost it all. Eighteen years after I got saved, I went to preach the 50th anniversary of the church where I got saved, Indianapolis Baptist Temple. For the first time ever, I saw my big brother and his wife, his two girls, their husbands. They were there, and next to my big brother Rick in the aisle seat was my dad. My dad was there. It was June 18, 2000, Father's Day. I said, happy Father's Day, Dad. You're here. I love you, Dad. I preached like I never preached in my life. I even preached just about shorter than I've ever preached in my life. I couldn't wait. On the first word of the first verse, the first song of invitation, there came my big brother Rick. His wife, their two girls, their husbands. And the very last, my dad came and every single one of them got saved. Oh, God saved. <laughs> Hallelujah. From that day on, my dad didn't touch a drink, didn't roll a paradise, didn't beat a woman. 
If God can change a 70-year-old alcoholic, he can change anybody. Don't you sit there and say, I can't. No, you can't, but he can. Some of you just need to stop being religious and get saved. Such good people. Brother Chad's right, you know, I've preached around here for years. It's a love-hate relationship. Because you know what I hate? Hate religion. Man-made religion that'll take you to hell. Think because you go to church, you got baptized, signed a card, you got a Sunday school badge, you're okay. No, you're not. You're going to hell. And you need to get saved. Every one of those eight pastors that got saved 40 years ago over at the high school, Every one of them came and thanked me later. Every one of them had me back in their church to preach. And they said, Randy, our church members thought you were too hard. He said, I'm glad you were hard. I'm going to heaven. Young man, look at me. You need to get saved if you're not saved. Young lady, get saved. Mom, dad, church members, get saved. As I close, if you've noticed, I left out Andy. He's my little brother. Remember that little six-year-old kid in bed that night? I told him to stay there. That's Andy. A few years ago, I was preaching in San Diego, California. And revival and speaking in schools there in San Diego. My little brother Andy was living up in the valley, they call it. San Jose, Northern California, where all the Brainiacs are with their computers. My brother was one of those. He was a math genius. I can't even spell algebra. <laughs> Come on. He got a full ride scholarship to Stanford University out in California. He was a freshman. They were having lunch one day, him and his buddies. And they were talking about some kind of multiple electronic something. And they said, I don't think we can do that. And they started talking. Eight of them quit school, started a microwave cell factory. Uh, they supplied parts at first to Enron, multi-billion dollar company. And then just exploded. They were rolling in money. Like most guys were back in the 80s in the valley. They were killing it. They were teenage millionaires. 20 and 30-something billionaires. But with so much disposable income at such a young age, my little brother Andy did what so many guys did back then. He got on the cocaine highway. Pure white powder. 200 bucks up his nose every day. He called me. While I was in San Diego, he said, hey, Randy, I heard you out west. Why don't you fly up and see me this weekend? It's been over a year since I've seen you. I need to talk. I said, Andy, I'd love to come see you, but I'm really busy. Folks, if you forget everything I've said today, and I've said far too much for far too long, and I'm sorry, but when we get too busy for others, we're too busy. It's not about the building, the music, who the preacher is. It's about people 
who need the Lord. People need the Lord. I confess to you I was wrong. I said I'm too busy. He said right now pay for the plane ticket, the hotel, the food. We'll go to Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco. You can get your favorites. You know, the, the clam chowder out of the bay, the fresh clams and the sourdough bowl. I said, Andy, that sounds like a blast. I'd love that, but I think I'm too busy. The last words I ever heard Andy say were these. He said, Randy, it's only a $40 plane ticket. I said, I'll try to make it. And I hung up. And I didn't make it. Three weeks later, I'm right up here in Marion, Illinois, Southern Illinois University, preaching to college kids every night with Campus Crusade for Christ. Kids were getting saved every night. College guys were coming up after the service. Randy, God's changed our life this week. No more cake parties. No more smoking pot. God's changed our life. It was so exciting. But at five in the morning, on Friday morning, on the last day of that meeting, my big brother Rick called me. I said, hey, Rick, what's going on? He said, Randy, it's our little brother Andy. He just took an overdose of drugs and killed himself. He's dead, Randy. Have you talked to him lately? I said, yeah. Three weeks ago, but I got too busy. I flew to San Jose, identified his body. I brought it home to Indianapolis. We had the funeral. After everybody had left the cemetery, everybody was gone. They didn't put him in the ground. They put him in a marble wall. My dad had built a mausoleum there just for the family. I didn't even know about it until that day. This big marble building. They put him in the marble wall there. On the outside, there was his name in gold. And I went outside and I laid on the ground where they had his casket for the cemetery service. And I wept like a baby. For three hours, I wept. And I begged God to forgive me for getting too busy to go see my little brother Andy. I begged him and begged him and begged him to forgive me and I promised God I would never get too busy for anybody ever again. I'm here this week, this weekend. If you need me today, let pastor know. I'll come early. I'll stay late today. Whatever, we can talk, but more than me, you need Jesus. I hate preaching on hell. I will not do it unless God tells me and I know it's God. I think you know why. Because if you're not saved, you don't go to heaven. This is real, folks. And I live with it every night. I go to bed. I wake up in a cold sweat sometimes because I had the dream that turned into a nightmare. After he died, I started having this dream that, that I did go see him and I spend the weekend with him and he takes me to the airport and, and before the plane, I said, Andy, just stay right here. 
We got a few minutes before my plane leaves, and I give him the plan of salvation. I show him from the Bible how to get saved. He bows his head. I hold hands. He prays. He gets saved. He goes into a church, and he gets baptized. He lives for Jesus. He even travels with me some and speaks at the high schools with me. I have this dream. But just a little bit after he gets saved, and all that happens in that dream, about that point, I usually wake up. I wake up and I realize that was a dream. And it didn't happen that way. I wanted it to happen that way so badly. But that was the dream. The nightmare, I didn't go see him. He died. He killed himself. That happened. And if he wasn't saved, the Bible says there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's real. I beg of you, get saved. Don't stay there. Come to Jesus. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to ask the musicians to play softly, just a soft song of invitation of the sound guy, however you, however you want to do it, with heads bowed and eyes closed. No one looking, unless you're coming forward to kneel at this platform and pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you a question. I don't want anyone to lie to God. It's dangerous to lie to God. God's here, folks. How many know God's here? Raise your hands. He's here. Don't, you can fool me. You can lie to me. You can fool each other. But you can't fool God. He knows your heart. He knows you went forward one day and you got baptized, you joined the church, you went to Sunday school, but he also knows your heart. And he knows if you're really saved or lost. And if you're honest, you know too. Clear away all the clutter right now. Forget about how late it is. Forget about what's going on afterward. Right now, focus on answering this question honestly. I don't care if you've raised your hand a thousand times before. Don't raise it this time. Just don't raise it unless you know. It's too important. With heads bowed and eyes closed. No one's looking. No one's going to be embarrassed. I'm not going to come get any of you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. How many of you in this room can honestly and truthfully Say, Brother Randy, there's one thing I know for sure. I'm not 90 or 95 or 99, but I'm 100% sure if I died right now, I know I'd go to heaven. I'm saved. I'm sure I know it. My friends know it. My family knows it. God knows it. And there's no doubt. Some of you are 95, 99% sure you're saved, but you're not 100. Only, only, only. If you're 100% sure if you died right now, you know you'd go to heaven. Raise your hand. Don't raise it unless you're that sure. Please, please, please. Do not raise your hand if you're not that sure. You may put your hands down. Many of you, many of you could not raise your hands. Thanks for being honest. Thanks for being honest. No one's going to be embarrassed, but would you let me pray for you? If you could not raise your hand a moment ago, and if you're here right now, and some of you raise your hand, because you always do. If you're not sure if you should have raised it, listen to me. If you're here today and you say, Brother Randy, to be honest, if I died right now, I would not go to heaven. 
or I'm not sure I'd go to heaven, I'm not saved, or I'm not sure I'm saved, but I don't want to die and go to hell. Pray for me. Slip your hands up high right now. Every one of you, slip them up high. Not saved, not sure. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Slip them up high and right back down, all over. Every one of you, not saved, not sure. Pray for me. Slip it up, slip it up. Not sure, not, God bless you. There's a man in the front. There's a couple Back in the back, there's another woman up front. Anyone else? Slip it up. Slip it up. God bless you. Thanks for being honest. People are getting honest. Slip it up and right back down. Thank you. God bless you, ladies. Anyone else? Slip it up. Slip it up. Slip it up. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Men are getting honest today. Slip it up. Slip it up. Randy, to be honest, if I died right now, I would not go to heaven, but I'd like to. Slip it up. Anyone else? Slip it up. Slip it up. I'll wait five more seconds. If no one else raises their hand, this is it. Five. Four, anyone else? Three, two, there's another. Thank God I waited. I'll pray for you, sir. Thank you. Moms, dads, teenagers, anyone else? Anyone else? There's another. There's another. Two more, three more. Anyone else? Four, five, six, seven. Anyone else? Anyone else? With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking. Let's all stand together for prayer. Everyone standing right now. Everyone standing with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father God, I pray in the name and through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that you do what I cannot do, that you do what no one in this room can do, convict of sin, judgment, and righteousness. Send the gift of repentance. God, by your Holy Spirit, convict, convert, and give courage to everyone in this room that raised their hand for prayer. Everyone that meant it, and I believe everyone in this room that raised their hand meant it, Give them the courage to do what they'll never be sorry for doing, simply saying yes to the Lord Jesus. In Christ's name, I pray believing with heads bowed and eyes closed. I want all of you that raise your hands for prayer just to lift your heads and look at me a second. I want to ask you a question. If you raise your hand, sir, did you mean it? Shake your head. Did you mean it, ma'am? Back in the back, did you mean it, sir? Young people, did you mean it? Look at me. Did you mean it, all of you? Sir, mom? Dad, teenager, young lady, did you mean it back here in the back? Over here, did you mean it? Did you mean it? With heads bowed and eyes closed while they sing, I want every one of you to come right here standing, facing me, and I'll show you how you can be saved. Come on right now. Step out. One, two, three. Come on while they sing. Come on right now. Step out. Come on right now. Every Christian counselor, come and help. Every saved person that knows how to win souls, come and stand with them. Here comes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Husband and wife coming together. Come on, step out. Step out. Step out. Step out. Step out. Counselors, come ahead. Counselors, come and stand with them. Counselors, come ahead. Step out. Step out. Young people, don't stand there. Step out. Young lady, young man, come now. Step out. Step out. Step out. Do not stand there and say no to God. Say yes to God. Step out. Praise God. Here comes another and another and another and another. Come on. And another. Come on. And another. Come on. Give the Lord a hand clap while they come. Give the Lord a hand clap while they come. Give God the glory. Do not stay there. Come on right now. Step out. Step out. Let God have his way. Don't look at him. Don't look at her. Look at your own life. Step out. Ask your friend to come with you. They'll come. 
Come alone if you have to. Don't stand there and reject Jesus. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Just softly playing, no more singing. I want all of you to look this way. All of you that have come forward, look at me. Look at me. This will just take 90 seconds. I know we're running late. Listen to me. To be saved. Can you hear me? To be saved. Thank God for the tears. Amen. Praise God. It's called revival. Amen. <laughs> Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. It's simple as ABC. A, admit. Everybody say admit. All of you that come forward out loud, say admit. Admit that you're a sinner. Romans 3 says we've all sinned and come short of God's glory. How many of you have sinned? Raise your hand. I got my feet up. <laughs> I mean, we've all sinned. We've all sinned, haven't we? B stands for believe. Believe in the church. It's a nice church, but it can't save you. Brother Chad, he's a great guy, but he can't save you. Who do you believe in? The Lord Jesus Christ. You believe that he lived on earth without sin. He died for our sin. And he rose to forgive our sin. You believe, how many of you believe he did that for you? Raise your hand. He did. He did. And if you'd been the only one that ever lived, he loved you so much he would have died just for you. What does C stand for? Stand for confess. Everybody say confess. Confess, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be what? Saved. He said two things there, didn't he? Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. How many believe if you ask God to save you, he'll save you? Raise your hand. Well, I happen to know he will. God said he would. I asked him to save me, he saved me. Brother Chad, when you asked God to save you, did he save you? He's never let anybody down, ever. Should have bow your head. Open your hearts. There's tears. There's broken hearts. There's the voice of God. With heads bowed and eyes closed, out loud, I want every one of you, every one of you down here in the front, and I want all of you that are standing by your seat, if you're not saved or not sure, you can pray this prayer too. Repeat after me out loud. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins and please save me. I now believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe he's God and will always be God. I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I repent of my sins. I turn from my sin. I accept Christ. Holy Spirit, live in me. Give me power over sin. Thank you, God, for saving me today and forever. By your power, give me victory over sin and bad habits. Thank you, God, for saving me. I love you, Lord Jesus. I'm a brand new person. By your grace, I'll live forever with you in heaven. I mean this, God. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you prayed that and you meant it? Raise your hands. Raise them up high, even out there. Even out there, raise them up. Raise them up.
Praise God. Listen to me. Those of you that raise your hand out there, all of you that prayed that prayer out by your seat, raise your hands. Raise your hands. I want all of you to come and join us. Give them a hand clap as they come. Come on, right now. Come on, right now. Come on. Come on. Here comes one, two, three, four, five. Come on, come on, every one of you. You prayed that prayer. Come on. Glory to God. Take that, devil, amen. Let me get a quick count. You just prayed to be saved. Raise your hands. Raise them up high. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Glory to God. Take that, devil, amen. Now look at me. Look at me. Look this way. All of you just got saved. I'm your new big brother. We're family. Who's buying my lunch today? I mean, we're family now. We're going to have a great Christmas this year, aren't we? Amen. Ain't God good? All the time. Give Jesus another hand clap. Come on, Pastor.